the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. The UN process does not deliver much, but it delivers some things. And while the minor verbal manoeuvring that emanated from the COP26 climate talks earlier this month failed on many measures, it did at least offer some hope of progress inside the International Maritime Organization. Sadly, when it comes to eliminating hot air from the atmosphere, the Marine Environment Protection Committee is too often the source rather than the solution. Wherever you stand on the climate debate, this week's discussions have been woefully disappointing. Ambitious states such as the vulnerable Pacific Islands in the EU27, they called for concrete action. They did not get it. Less ambitious ones, like China, Russia and Saudi Arabia, they all lined up to block such action at every turn, repeating the same arguments of cost and fairness to developing countries day after day, seemingly regardless of topic. The frustrations of diplomacy via Zoom are dragging on a process that, let's be fair, was pretty glacial before the restrictions of COVID kicked in and isn't much better now. Procedural spats and complaints about the transparency of social media are somehow even more undignified on screen than they ever were in person. But this is not process, this is not petty complaints about media coverage, fundamental differences of climate finance and political positions have created a visible schism in the dialogue at MEPC, and it's hard to see how that gap will be bridged anytime soon. To try and help us make sense of it all and dissect the lack of progress inside MEPC this week, we've drafted in some expertise from inside the meeting. Damien Chevalier is the alternate permanent representative to the IMO and the attaché to the French Embassy in the UK. Christina Dixon is the ocean lead at the NGO Environmental Investigations Agency. Isabel Rocon is the principal consultant at UMass International, where her work focuses on maritime climate policies and governance. But first, we take a look at what happened to the industry's flagship $5 billion R&D fund proposal. While not dead yet, it didn't get approval this week at MEPC, which is disappointing to many. So I started by asking the International Chamber of Shipping Secretary General, Mr Guy Platten, how he felt that the week had gone. I think the one word that sums up my feelings about the week is disappointment. I think there was an opportunity to really make progress, to deliver on those promises that governments made at COP26 and to translate even into action. And uh, it just did not happen. We spent two days, the first two days, debating resolution, which clearly wasn't going to pass. So, I mean, there's hours spent on that. And then we talked about the IMRF fund, and, and we were pleased to see some some really positive messages from quite a number, a wide range of governments on that one, but yet that still um, didn't get much further other than it's being put into the international working group for discussion in May. So it's not it's not over, but there was a you know there was a there was an oven ready solution there, which if governments had got behind could really have sent a clear signal about COP26. It wasn't going to cost them anything. Um, it, it, it's it, you were just disappointed that, that that they didn't see fit to to take it more positively forward. Just for 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 listeners not familiar with the intimate details of MEPC and indeed the fund, just very briefly give us the top level view of what was on the table and what happened to it. So what was on the table was a comprehensive proposal to establish a five billion dollar research and development fund. And this would be funded by a levy on every uh, tonne of fuel consumed by ships 
around the world. It would have been a mandatory levy and uh, through changes to the Marpol Convention, amendments to that, the fund could have been up and running very quickly. What we were seeking is approval, not adoption, but approval at this MEPC for the fund to be having the more detailed scrutiny and work to be taking place. We didn't get that. At the same time, we didn't get the, the proposal rejected. And there was a lot of support given by a number of a wide ranging number of governments for the idea. It's now been pushed into what's known as the Intercessional Working Group on Greenhouse Gas Reductions, which will meet in May to, to discuss further. But we would have liked to have seen much more concrete progress with this fund. It's 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 not going to cost citizens any money. It's, it's not a tax. It's, there's no additional cost to taxpayers. This is the industry uh, putting voluntarily wanting to put funds into a research and development, which we, which we need. We all need. No, we need more R&D in order to accelerate the decarbonisation. And this was the first step. The, the next thing, you know, we, we, we also talked about market based measures. There was some discussion uh, around that. That's that's to be taken forward, you know, uh, through the, 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 the strategy and through the, through the, the work plan. But, you know, it's as a, we, you know, as an industry, we've come forward. We said we, we accept net zero um, uh, CO2 by 2050. Here's a proposal for a market for a um, market based measure. Here's also a completely ready proposal for a fund. Um, you know, we've talked at COP26 about a just transition task force, which we're setting up now. You know, industry has got this. We, we really want what we need now is political certainty and we're not getting that. We're not getting the leadership from governments. And, you know, I'm not going to single anyone out because it, it, it's it's a collective international response. But I've never seen industry so united around a common set of themes now. And and to have at our COP26 conference in Glasgow, a leading ship owner say they want more regulation. I think that tells you conceptually, intellectually, we, we want to move forward with this. And at the moment, we're frustrated because it's not happening. The governments gave words and commitments at COP26. And I think we were hopeful that we'll be sending a really clear signal at MEPC this week about intent. We weren't expecting to achieve everything, of course not. But I just feel that it is disappointment is, 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 is the way I feel uh, about this going going forward. And I think that's reflected by many of our uh, members and ship owners as well. They were just looking for that clear signal, um, which we didn't get at this, this time. So the industry was disappointed, but perhaps not surprised. While COP26 generated some optimism that many had hoped would carry on through MEPC, the reality of multilateral debates, particularly those carried out on Zoom, are necessarily slower than those outside the process would hope for. Damien Chevalier, who is part of the French delegation inside the IMO and a veteran of such meetings, explains why process is necessary, even if it risks short-term disappointment from those urging states to accelerate their ambition. At the IMO, we need to progress step by step. We need to adopt a strategy after we need to adopt different work plans. We need to adopt some main principles and after you can progress in more detail proposals. So we are regarding the mid-term and long-term agenda in particular. We are just at the first round of discussion. Uh, in general, political statement, if I can say that. Uh, now we are in phase one of this uh, work plan, and so we need now to work together with some country to propose more detailed uh, proposals at the next uh, at the next meeting. It's impossible to just directly send a proposal, a very ambitious proposals, and 
to have lots of expectations that there is uh, an opportunity to directly adopt something at the IMO. It's very slow, that is a multilateral organization. It's normal, it's complicated, that is the uh, whole world, it, it reflects all the complexity of the world. And so we need to progress step by step and to consider all the positions to, um, <coughs> to progress. Uh, but indeed, it's slow, but if you look uh, in general that IMO done lots of progress in the, the last few years so regarding the fact we have been in capacity to adopt short-term measures, very technical measures, but in a so short delay. And regarding the IMO history, uh, I'm sure it's a, um, a very quick progress, but uh, regarding uh, the pressure or climate action so, uh, that we need to, to do, of course, it's, uh, it's slow. But how to manage, how to, to give the, the right balance between these two issues, it's really complicated. And we need to be very quiet, <laughs> very patient, and to progress step by step to, to, to secure a result at the end. Despite the frustrations, and there were clearly many frustrations, there are some positives that we can take away from this week that might not be obvious from just looking at the headlines of what wasn't agreed. In between the political grandstanding and blocking, there were some positive signals from states that a raised ambition on meeting net zero targets by 2050 is now feasible. Isabel Rockon from UMass International explains why. Yeah, I mean, in, in light of the climate emergency that we're facing, it can sometimes be really difficult to, to listen and attend to the IMO negotiations. And this week was certainly no different. Um, we had a short debate on the midterm measures. So that would, for example, include carbon levies, emissions trading schemes and fuel standards. But we simply didn't have enough time to make good progress. However, what is becoming clearer in that regard is that there is a lot of support, and it seems like that support is increasing, for the idea of a basket of measures, which um, could, for example, consist of market-based measures and standards. And there's going to be more discussions on this at the 12th um, Intersessional Working Group on Greenhouse Gas Emissions, which for now has been scheduled for May next year. However, for me, the big takeaway um, from this week was how much support there is for zero emissions by 2050 at the latest, which, as we know from IPCC reports, is what is needed to keep 1.5 degrees front and center of our efforts. Um, now, a number of Pacific Island countries in the run-up to MEPC had proposed a resolution for IMO to recognize that in light of the recent IPCC report, international shipping must reach zero by 2050 at the very latest. And even though there wasn't enough support for the resolution to go through, the clear majority of countries who were present uh, were in favor of having an ambition or a target of zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. <clears throat> and in addition to that, a lot of countries also supported the idea of having um, stronger and new targets for 2030 and 2040 um, and because it's it's not just about when we reach zero, but also very much about what the emissions pathway until then looks like. Um, and we know that we need deep emission cuts in the next decade to keep 1.5 alive. So, as I said earlier, it can sometimes be frustrating to, to be in those discussions, especially when you know how much needs to happen in a very short amount of time. But if I think back of the discussions when I first started attending MEPC meetings a few years ago, um, those interventions on, on the ambition that is needed would have been unthinkable. So 
yeah, even though progress can, can sometimes feel glacial, that was a very positive signal coming out of this week. Um, and I hope, re I really hope that this signal is going to be strengthened as we move uh, forward uh, and as we move deeper into the revision of the strategy. Um, and I think this is really important because uh, as we've already seen, the adoption of the initial strategy and its targets has already unleashed a lot of positive action in the industry and that needs to be accelerated and strengthened. I think clarity on um, when we need to reach zero buy is really going to help with that. One of the major problems facing the IMO, which is operating a hybrid policy of some delegates being in the room, but most being on Zoom, is time. This was a problem before COVID, given the size of the agenda. But the constraints and understandable priority given to decarbonisation means that everything other than the headline topics often get missed. Christina Dixon from the Environmental Investigation Agency explains why this is such a problem. So what's happened over the last couple of years, and this is you know partly a response to the pandemic and everything switching into the virtual format, but also partly due to the completely overburdened agenda of MEPC, it means that plastic's not been discussed now for two years. So what happens in the agenda, and we've seen it this week as well, is that greenhouse gas emissions from ships, which of course is a really important environmental issue, is, is the dominant environmental issue that gets discussed. So everything else gets essentially a graveyard slot at the end of the week and not enough time to discuss it. So we've been waiting for plastics to come back on the agenda for the last two MEPC meetings um, and each time it's been deferred. So we had in this meeting, we had people who submitted papers for discussion at MEPC 75 and here we are at 77. So someone waiting two years for their topic to be discussed and it's allocated, you know, 20 to 30 minutes um, and essentially is just kind of kicked again to another subcommittee. Um, it's clear that the current structure of the agenda isn't working um, in order to discuss all of the topics. Um, you know, there was a proposal, you know, during the discuss discussions just now that perhaps, you know, do we need to have a subcommittee that deals specifically with greenhouse gas emissions from ships? Is that the way to mitigate this? Because we can't have a situation where it's the only environmental topic that gets discussed. Um, because, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, shipping contributes to pollution and environmental destruction in kind of many different ways. Um, plastics is obviously the one that I'm really interested in, um, but there are many others that are also on the table for discussion. We can't continue like this where, you know, member states are spending a lot of time putting in proposals. The ones that um, essentially got half an hour to discuss just now are related to fishing gear. And fishing gear is one of the main sources of plastic pollution from, from vessels. Um, and people have put a lot of work into exploring the options for a technical approach for how IMO could help to manage this. So the proposal on the table was to look at whether we could amend Marple Annex 5 uh, to make fishing gear marking mandatory. And it aligns with another piece of work that's ongoing on making it mandatory to report losses of fishing gear. Um, and after all the work that's gone into that, to just have 20 minutes on the floor to discuss it. And there's a big division of opinion. This is not a kind of unifying topic that everyone agrees on. Um, a lot of states have really different ideas. Um, Japan and the UK put in a kind of completely opposite proposal about how this issue could be managed. And that there needs to be some airtime for that. Um, it's not something that can be really discussed virtually. It's not something that can be discussed without a dedicated working group. But right now, these topics just keep getting deferred for further discussion. Um, so I think the, the feeling from member states is that 
um, we need to come up with a, a different approach to managing the agenda um, and whether that's splitting into working groups earlier, which is what they sort of tried to do with the plastics issue this time, to have a separate working group in parallel to plenary, which is where I spent most of the week um, trying to move forward some of this topic outside of plenary. I mean, that's one approach. Um, but it should have been done at the last MEPC and it didn't. Instead, we just turned up to the meeting expecting plastic, plastics would be discussed, put a lot of work into outreach with delegate, delegates in advance, and then it just didn't even come up. It was just bumped. Um, and that's, you know, that doesn't really work for anybody. So there we leave the MEPC this week. The voices you've heard on the podcast clearly represent a mere fraction of the opinions heard around the IMO this week. And before listeners from Albert Embankment start furiously emailing me angry responses, we are well aware that the IMO delegates know the pressure they are under, and many are just as exasperated as the rest of us. One from a developing country told us this week that any measure she agreed would have to be explained to her government back home, which has poverty targets to think about, not only climate ones. The IMO's current goal of halving emissions from 2008 levels by 2050 Yes, it looked puny, but at the time it was fairly revolutionary. The fact that the goalposts have moved since is not the IMO's fault, and they are doing their best to try and address that. On a more positive note, as a delegate from a more ambitious, developed country told us, the negotiations are far more productive and civil than they were even a decade ago. Everyone we spoke to agreed that more mutual trust and cooperation is needed to find a way forward. The shipping industry, the wider world, Lloyd's List, we all wish the IMO would move with more alacrity, but as we have pointed out on numerous occasions, the IMO is nothing more than the collective will of its 175 member states. Nevertheless, put simply, the usual speed of IMO cooperation is now not fast enough. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>